0: Tonight is study number 28 of Genesis chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 21 and 22. And Jehovah smelled a sweet savor, and Jehovah said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. I'll stop reading there. Now in verse 21, once again, after Noah built the altar, took of every clean beast and fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar, the Lord Jehovah smelled a sweet savor and that means it was an acceptable sacrifice and therefore it has to be the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that's in view and Christ acceptable sacrifice was performed at the foundation of the world and here we see as they're coming out of the ark it is a perfect time to demonstrate To show that the foundation for the new world, for the new heaven and new earth, the new creation, is identical to the foundation for our present world. It is made, God has created the world for the purpose of bringing his elect people into it, where they will live with him forever and ever. And it's all based, it's all built upon the foundation of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Well, then, we also saw that there's language in verse 21 that points to the new earth. For instance, after uh, saying that Jehovah smelled a sweet savor, Jehovah said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more For a man's sake. Well, back in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God cursed the ground. And that is a curse upon the creation. And that curse will not be removed until this world is destroyed and a new world is made. And so, by saying, I will not again curse the ground the Lord is recognizing that he did once curse the ground, and that can only be pointing to the curse upon this world, this universe, this creation. And as we saw in our last study, we went to Revelation 22, and at the point of the making of that new earth, God says there will be no more curse. So the language that is being used in this verse fits the context of, again, the transition from this world to the next. And it goes on to say, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. Now, if we understand this statement to refer to the flood, and God did smite every living thing, everything with the breath of life, except for the occupants of the ark, if we understand that God is saying, I will not again smite any more every living thing as I did with the flood. Uh, then how is there allowance for God smiting every living thing at the end of the world? You see how awkward that statement is with the rest of the Bible, because the Bible certainly does declare at the end of the world, God will smite every living thing. He will destroy the wicked. He will destroy the creation. And when he destroys the creation, he will be destroying the animals, the insects, all living things, all of the creatures. And the way God is directing us to understand this is to realize that the flood was a type and a figure of the destruction of the cursed creation of this world and the coming out of the ark after the flood is truly picturing the new heaven and new earth. And the, the statements here of not again cursing the ground and neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done fit perfectly with Revelation 21's language or Revelation 22's language at the end of the world and the beginning of the new world. And and so we are directed into that understanding by this language. But how does it fit historically? Historically, this is 7,000 and a few years ago, and that means there were several millennium um, still to work out. Uh, There was much history to unfold after the flood until finally the end of the world. And so uh, God does answer how he can use this type of language in the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 9, in verse 11, where he says, And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, with that statement, God is conditioning what he said back in verse 21 in Genesis 8, our verse, as long as we read those statements historically in the light of um, Genesis nine eleven, that That when God says he will not smite any more everything living as he has done, he means by a flood. And likewise, so that the verse now can be understood um, because God has given us more information to help us to understand how it can be that he will later destroy everything living with the end of the world. But... The significant thing is that he did not tell us in Genesis 8.21 that um, I will not again curse the ground anymore with a flood. Or he did not say, uh, neither will I again smite anymore every living thing with a flood. He left out the word flood because of the spiritual context that he orchestrated throughout the chapter regarding the picture that was being presented as soon as they came out of the ark onto the dry ground. So we, we do have uh, the spiritual picture that is very clear in Genesis 8.21, but historically the statements are also correct once viewed in the light of what we read in the next chapter, where we see their condition by the flood. They're said in the light of the flood. Okay, let's go on to verse 22 in Genesis 8. And this is the last verse of the chapter. It says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And this is a verse that, first of all, we should say, it, it, we we can look at this uh, practically. We can look at it literally, and it is um, declaring a truth, which is that God will have the world operating as usual. It, it will be the typical operation, the typical cycle of things where everything is going on as it has from the beginning concerning the movements of the sun, moon, and stars, um, which helps us to understand, by the way, that when we read in Mark 13, and let me turn there, in verse 24, it says, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, And the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Now, in this verse, we're told what's happening is occurring in those days, plural, after the tribulation, and that would be judgment day. And we're told that the sun is darkened and the moon will not give her light and so forth. Well, if the sun is dark, and you cannot have day and night, as usual, as has been happening throughout time, because the sun, moon, and stars are the celestial clock. They govern time. God created them, and when he did, he created them for times and seasons. And so, if something happens to them, if they are taken out of their orbit or if their the sun is darken then you you cannot have the 24 hour day period you you cannot have the 7 day week the lunar month 29.530 days uh, every 29.530 days is a new month you you cannot have the year of 365.2422 days Everything is upset. Everything is disturbed as far as time is concerned. You cannot keep accurate track of time without the movements of the celestial clock that were created in the beginning when God created them. It's been like a precise time instrument operating all throughout history and and so when mark 13:24 says and i'll read it again now now let's listen carefully but in those days now first of all it's speaking of days and days as a time reference but again you cannot have time you cannot have days without the sun moon and stars So, when we read, in those days, after that tribulation, and Matthew 24 tells us it's immediately after that this would be occurring, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Well, this is a literal impossibility. It, It. It cannot be, it is not possible for there to be days in which the sun is darkened and the moon's not giving its light and the stars are falling. If any of that happened, it would be the end of the world and it would not uh, occur over the course of days. It, It would be very quick. And you also could not keep track of time to count days, if these things were literally happening. So, because there's no literal possibility that this could happen over the course of days, and also because Genesis 8 tells us, while the earth remaineth, and by the way, the language in the Hebrew, the Hebrew text, literally says, while all um, uh, while all days of the earth, that, that's literal, remaineth is implied, but literally it's while all days of earth. So it is pointing to all the complete history of mankind's experience, mankind's living in this world that these things, seed time harvest, cold heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. and that last pairing of day and night tells us that we must understand Mark 1324 spiritually, that we cannot understand it literally because or let, let's look at it this way. Let, let's say that tomorrow is the end of the Great Tribulation, which it's not, May 21, 2011 was. But let's just say it's tomorrow. And time has continued up until today. Day and night has continued. And then tomorrow is the end of the Great Tribulation and the beginning of Judgment Day. And so Mark 13, verse 24, takes effect. Immediately after the Tribulation... And a period of time, which you can't even have time without the sun, moon, and stars, but a period of time begins to activate. That Mark 13.24 says, in those days after that tribulation. And so tomorrow the sun literally is darkened. The moon literally does not give its light in the night. And the stars literally begin to fall. By the way, Revelation 6 tells us they fall to the earth, and we know what would happen if one star got anywhere near the earth. We would burn up in a minute. But let's, let's just, uh, for now, we'll, we'll just put the stars aside. But the sun is dark, the moon is not giving its light, the stars fall, There's no more light of any kind, literally, and we're told it's going to go on the day after tomorrow and the day after that for a period of unspecified days. In those days, plural, the sun is darkened. Well, then how can Genesis 8, verse 22, while all the days of the earth, day and night shall not cease. Has not day and night ceased? Because if the sun is darkened, and if the moon does not give its light, well, then everything is just just dark. It's all blackness. There, There's no light. The distinction between day and night is caused by the sun. The sun rises as it's been dark all night and all throughout the period of darkness we call it night and then the sun comes up in the morning and it is day and it's day for a period of time then the sun sets and it's night again you cannot have those things happening there there's there's no distinction it, you might still have a watch I don't I don't know uh, but let's say you have a watch and and it's a wind-up watch and, and the hours are passing. But, you know, 10 o'clock in what should be morning is identical to 10 o'clock at night as far as the earth is concerned because the sun has been darkened. And, and so there's no more keeping track of time, which means the Bible will not permit, it will not allow, It will not let us for a second understand the darkening of the sun, the darkening of the moon, or the falling of the stars in the time after the tribulation as a literal occurrence. It will not permit it. Now, it's not only Mark 13, but remember what it says in Luke 21. In Luke 21... In verse 25, and this is the parallel passage to Mark 13, which is speaking of the Great Tribulation and the end of the world, Christ is giving us information about it. And it says in Luke 21, verse 25, And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves... Roaring Now, if the sun literally is darkened and the moon literally, that means in actuality, is not giving her light. Well, is that a sign of the end of the world? Or is that the very end of the world itself? And, of course, it would be the end of the world. No one's going to take that as a sign. They're going to take that as the reality that the end of the world has come. But a sign, remember, the Bible tells us about a sign that God will give no outward visible sign. Uh, The Jews look for a sign. But Jesus said, no sign will be given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And in order to understand the sign that is permissible, given by God, of Jonah, where do you see it? Where do you go to see that sign when Jesus said that? Uh, Can you go to Nineveh? Uh, Could a Jew go to Nineveh to see the sign of the prophet Jonah? No. He wouldn't see anything. The events concerning Jonah happened hundreds of years prior. Well, where on earth could a Jew go? Could he... Look up into the heaven or anywhere else on earth. Nowhere. He could not see that sign anywhere but in the word of God. In the Bible. That's the only place you could read about Jonah and his experience in uh, fleeing to Tarshish and being cast out of the merchant ship and swallowed by the big fish and and vomited out upon dry land and then going to Nineveh a second time you have to read the bible in order to see the sign and it's exactly the case with the signs in the sun moon and stars because the sun is it's not you know uh, we should get that completely out of our minds it has nothing to do with the sun up in the sky it's what the sun Identifies with what God created the sun to picture and represent, which is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And, and so when you see the sun, S-U-N, but, but when you see it spiritually through understanding the word of God or, or you're, you're seeing this, Because God is opening up the information through his word, the Bible, to reveal it to his people. When you see a time when the sun is dark, that is the light of the world, is gone, put out. And the moon, which identifies with the law of God, the Bible, and not only is Christ the light of the world, But thy word is a lamp unto my feet. The word of God, the Bible, is a light. So when you see the major light, who is the Lord Jesus, darken, and the lesser light in the sense that it is God's word, and it completely identifies with Christ, and that word also is a light, when you see the word of God, the Bible's light, go out. And then you know that you're seeing signs, acceptable, permissible signs, the only signs the Bible permits concerning the end of the world. You have been given the sign that this is the sign that will be in evidence after the tribulation for days. In those days, the sun is darkened. And, and now we have harmony with the whole Bible. We're not looking at a literal darkened sun or a literal moon that's not giving light. We're, we're not looking literally. We're looking at it spiritually and we understand it spiritually. And so all the while the spiritual lights of the gospel are out The literal, physical light, the celestial bodies up in the heavens continue to operate, continue to function. Time continues during Judgment Day, during the prolonged period of the wrath of God upon the earth. During a time of intense spiritual darkness, we wake up and the sun is shining, just as it's always been. And then after a period of time, it sets and darkness comes and the next day. And, and so the cycle continues throughout the period of the entire duration of judgment day. However long it will be, although we're finding much evidence pointing to 2033 still we we don't want to say that will be the time as yet we're continuing to look into it, yet one thing is absolute and certain, and that is the signs the signs that this is the sign which really um, it goes on to say here in Luke twenty one. In verse 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. We can be sure. We can have confidence. We can have um, a very strong confidence in knowing that we have progressed from the church age to the great tribulation and and a two-part great tribulation from a grievous 2,300 days to a latter rain period to the saving of the great multitude out of great tribulation. And we've progressed into judgment day and into the time after the tribulation in those days afterwards in which the light of the gospel has gone out. And that fact matches perfectly with the language of the Bible and and so we're continuing on uh, through this uh journey uh, this this grievous journey it, it it's not an easy journey it's extremely difficult but we're continuing on the right course and we have a sign we have a sign it, it interestingly enough it it's not a sign that lightens our path but it's a sign of darkness. It's a sign of blackness. When we look up into the spiritual heaven, as the word of God is the one that put the lights in the heaven, and it's the word of God that has put them out. And and so as we see the thick darkness that has overtaken the world, as we see mankind lose sight of basic morality and uh, concerning just ugly things like like aborting babies and selling their parts, or, or men marrying men and women marrying women, and everyone saying what a great and wonderful thing it is. As we, we see mankind given up to these things, we know this is the sign. This is the indicator that the end is at hand. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over Paltalk, Skype, Bible Fellowship's webcast audio or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.